Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. But Hebrews chapter 7, here's what I need you to do. I need you to just give me a few minutes to lay down a foundation that is essential for where we're going today. And then I promise you, <laughs> there's going to be real life that we're going to, that's going to come forward. Even as we're teaching this, but I want, you to, I want you to see this. The title is A New Order. Here's, here's a quick background on Hebrews, and this is really important to grasp. I, what I want to do is I want to teach this so that your heart is stirred and prepared for what Lord is, is going to speak to us today. Hebrews is, in my humble opinion, the greatest Christ-centered sermon ever given. What Hebrews does is essentially takes these Old Testament figures and elements and shows how they were all types, shadows, pointing to the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. So in every way, Jesus Christ is superior now in this new covenant. In fact, let me share this. This is so, so important. The new covenant and the new order that we are under is so far superior to the old covenant that Hebrews 8 says, actually, the old order is obsolete. It's, it's gone. It's, it's no more. Why is this so important? Because I need to challenge myself with this and remind myself, but oftentimes what happens when I hear people speak the Word of God is the full, the full thing. Old and New Testament is the full Word of God. You need to read both, right? You have to. If you're going to understand the New, you have to know the Old and vice versa. The problem is, is that when we teach from the Old Testament, what happens often is we do not preach from the lens of the finished work of Jesus. So we start preaching the Old Covenant but keeping people under the Old Covenant. 2 Corinthians says when you don't, do not preach Jesus, you actually create a veil where people cannot see him. But when we preach Christ, then freedom comes. See, Jesus, God operates with us through covenant, through relationship. Once the old is gone, that's what Hebrews says, we are now only on the new covenant. He does not bounce back and forth. So you cannot read the old covenant and say, well, wow, look, look at what he did. The Son of God died on a cross. Everything changes because of this. So when we read the old covenant, we must always... See it through the lens of Jesus died, and what does this look like now? So, so important, because if not, I've, listen, I, I'm not interested in preaching people to follow Jesus by, by preaching them into fear. I'll never be ashamed of this. I preach the love of God because I believe love is the greatest motivation to follow God. And when I see the love that was laid down for me in the life of Jesus, it compels me to give him everything. So this is so, so crucial. Don't bounce back and forth. Read the whole word of God, but know that Jesus did the finished work. So there are basically four ways. I just want you to hear this. Just stay with me. There are four ways in which the new order, the new covenant, is so far superior to the old covenant. Number one is law. So Jesus fulfills the law. We are no longer under the law. We are in the dispensation of what's called grace. This is actually incredible. It's life by the Spirit. It's empowerment by the Spirit. This is how we live now. Jesus has fulfilled it in every single way. Ezekiel says that in, in this day that we live in, the Spirit of God will be poured out, and it will cause us to follow him. You literally have the Spirit of God inside of you that is jealous to come after God. Your role? Just yield. <laughs> this is amazing what we live in. Why would you want to go back to the old where the law was written on stone tablets? Now the Spirit of God inscribes it on your heart. So one, he's greater in the law. The second thing he's greater is sacrifice. The blood of goats and calves were given up in the Old Testament. Do you know who shed his blood in the New Covenant? 
God. How much greater is the new covenant compared to the old covenant? How much greater is God compared to a goat? How foolish would it be to operate under the old order when God was slain for us? This is completely different in the, in the era that we're living in. The third thing is that it's Moses' leadership. Moses is a picture of, of a deliverer, of a redeemer, right? He takes the people out of, of bondage. Jesus is the true fulfillment of this. Jesus is a true deliverer. Jesus is a true rescuer. He's taken us out of the bondage of sin and death and bringing us into eternal salvation. But here's the fourth thing, and this is what I want to really get into today. This is, I promise you, just listen to this. This is going to be really good. The fourth thing is the Levitical priesthood. You see, when Israel was formed, they had 12 tribes. One was called the Levites. The Levites were appointed to only they could be the priests. Only they could operate in the temple. Aaron was the first, Moses' brother. Thousands followed after that. But what we're about to read is that Jesus does not come under the order of Aaron. He comes under the order of Melchizedek, this mysterious priestly king. Let me share this for you, and then we're actually going to learn a little bit about Melchizedek, and it's going to be fire. <laughs> All right, so Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. You guys there? I feel like I say this every week, but are you ready to learn? <laughs> You got your pens, you got your notebook, your iPhones, iPads. Let's go. Okay, so we're looking at Hebrews chapter 7, which is specifically talking about the superiority of the new priesthood. Now listen to this. It says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, perfection means wholeness, completion, full restoration to God. If that could have been completed and fulfilled through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? In the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. So if the old priest could fully restore us to God, why would we need another priest to come? The point is, it couldn't. Verse 12 says, For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. You could only come to a place of priesthood if you were from the tribe of Levi. Jesus is not even from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. This is so, so important. He's a different type of priest. So look at the next verse. It says, verse 14, what I just said, For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Never could you be a priest from Judah. Verse 15 says, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not, listen to this, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but, to, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. In other words, Jesus did not become our high priest because of his bloodline. He's not a part of the Levites. He came because he has an indestructible, an imperishable, an everlasting life. This is what has qualified him. It is for this reason, verse 17, for it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. All right. This is so rich and so amazing. I promise you, just give me two more minutes to just unpack this, and then we'll be able to show you, I'm going to show you how this ties in so beautifully to communion. I, I, let, me just, let me just start here. This is, again, emphasizing the superiority of Jesus as our high priest in the new covenant, there's a new order of priesthood, not, not according to the old priesthood of Aaron. 
I, I was just going through the book of Hebrews. I just want to share this because I think it's so important for where I'm going for you to understand how, how much better Jesus is. So I just want you to just follow this for two minutes, and then we're going to get into the application and communion with this. And uh, I promise you, I can't keep saying I'm so excited I want to jump ahead, but it's going to be rich. But listen, first thing is, as I was going through it, I made these notes. First thing is, under Jesus, we have superior access to the presence of God. So under the Old Testament, under the order of Aaron, the priests actually couldn't go into the presence of God. Only the high priest could, and only one day of the year. Jesus does not enter the presence of God uh, one day a year. He enters once and for all. He enters once and for all. The, the Old Testament priests under the order of Aaron could not even think about bringing people into the presence of God. But Jesus has opened the veil so that we could come in. Actually, so much so that the presence of God can live in you now. Superior access through Jesus as our high priest. The, th the second thing is superior price. In the Old Testament, it says that the priests, according to the order of Aaron, they could only deal gently, Hebrews 5, they could only deal gently with the sins of man and the waywardness of man. You know why? Because they themselves were weakened sinners. So they themselves had to first actually offer a sacrifice. They'd have to slay a goat for themselves before they can even offer sacrifices for others. Jesus is holy. He's perfect. He's spotless. He's without blemish. He's unstained. He has to offer no sacrifice for himself. The only thing he does is offer himself now. Superior price. And the third thing is superior effect. I want you to look at verse, verse 11 one more time. It says this, it says, if perfection could have been attained, I shared that before, if wholeness, if completion, if full restoration to God could have been obtained through the old covenant, we wouldn't need a new priest. See, the Levitical priests under the order of Aaron, they could only cover sin. They could not wash it. They could not wipe it out. They could not actually cleanse it. Let alone could they give you or impart a power to you that would allow you to overcome your sinful nature. But Jesus, as our high priest, does not just cover us. He cleanses us. He washes us. He purifies us. He regenerates us. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to live in us, which allows us to overcome our sinful nature. In every way, Jesus is so far superior See, the, the, the Levitical priests were unable to truly reconcile people to God. Their ministry of redemption was only partial. It was only partial. That's why we needed another priest to come. Hebrews uh, verse 10, verses 11 to 14, says that the order of the priest of Aaron, just, just stay with me, this is all building up. The order of the priest of Aaron, it says that they would stand daily and offer the same sacrifices day after day after day. But then there's a high priest who came who offered one sacrifice, not many every day, one, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because it is finished. Religion stands, faith sits and rests in the finished work of Jesus. Religion has to offer over and over and over trying to get something, but Jesus has already done it. It's finished. It's complete. Hebrews 7 verse 23 says that under the order of Aaron, there are a great number of priests. You know why? Because they would eventually die. But it says with Jesus, <laughs> Jesus lives forever. Do you know what that means? That means it says in verse 24 of chapter 7 that Jesus can save to the uttermost because his priesthood remains forever now. 
This is why Hebrews 5.10 says he offers eternal salvation because he sits forever at the right hand of God, seated with a finished perfect work. Now, I just barely, I don't even think I've scratched the surface on the superiority of Jesus, but I just want to share that to stir your heart for what it looks like to live under this new order. Here's here's the summary statement that that I put down. Christ completes what is incomplete. He perfects what is inadequate. And he makes actual what was only symbolic. So here we are. I haven't even begun to really unpack this, but I want you to now to hear this is, this, is, this is where I want to get to and why this is so important for communion. Here's the challenge, here's the issue. Everyone needs to hear this. When the Levitical priesthood was undoubtedly a blessing to the Israelites. We know that. We know they were essential. God established them. We're not dismissing that at all. In many ways, they were preparation leading us into Jesus. So we understand that fully. But the reality is, I shared those things so that you know they were actually powerless to meet the needs of the people. They actually couldn't deal with what the people needed. They could not be fully forgiven. They could not be cleansed. They could not be given a power to overcome their sinful nature. They could not actually restore man back to God. Here's the issue. When we read the scriptures, the vast majority of scriptures in the, in the entire Bible, especially the Old Testament, do you know what they speak of? They speak of the Levitical priesthood. The problem with this is now this becomes our reference point for trying to understand how we relate to Jesus as our high priest, as our mediator between us and God. The challenge, though, is is that he's not under the order of the Levitical priesthood. He's not under the order of Aaron. He comes under the order of this mysterious kingly priest named Melchizedek, which means if you actually want to properly understand who Jesus is and how he relates to you, you actually can't read about Aaron and those priests. You have to read about Melchizedek. How many of you ever read about Melchizedek? So I hopefully right now you're saying, who in the world is Melchizedek? <laughs> what does it mean to come under this order? And how does this tie into the communion? Those are great questions, guys. I'm so glad you asked them. Are you ready to just dive full steam ahead in this? Do you understand where we're at right now? You actually can't look at Aaron and those priests. He doesn't come like that. He doesn't relate to us like that. He's a completely different priest. He comes like Melchizedek. So I want you, I want, if you have your Bibles, turn here to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20 will be on the screen as well. And here we go. We're going to start unpacking this and bringing this into personal application. Melchizedek. Melchizedek is referenced a few times in the scriptures. First of all, I think that parents would probably name their kids this if it didn't sound so weird. <laughs> but the reality is, is that Melchizedek, what it means is king of righteousness. And he's the king of Salem. Salem is peace. He's the king of peace. We find out that he's a king. He's also a priest. There's this kingly priest who is the king of righteousness and, and the king of peace. And he is, serves as one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus as our high priest. Now, here, here's the thing. It's amazing. The scriptures reference Melchizedek a few times, but this is the only appearance in person that we see of Melchizedek. I hope you can catch this. It was stirring me. 
We have all these scriptures on Aaron's priesthood, but Hebrews is so clear. You actually can't properly understand Jesus by looking at that. You can only understand him when you truly see Melchizedek. So we have just a few verses that actually are so significant and powerful in teaching us about how Jesus uh, relates to us and how he responds and how he is our high priest. Are you ready to look at this? Look what it says. So this is about Abram or Abraham, the patriarch, the father of the faith. He just gets done battling these kings and he's victorious. And look what happens. There's a high priest that comes to him. Look what it says. Verse 18 says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out what? Bread and wine. Oh, you better get ready. We're about to go in right now. This is the order that Jesus comes in. The priest, he comes to the individual. Oh, this is so good. Let's, let's go through it tomorrow. <laughs> we'll wait till next week. He brings bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He's a king and he's a priest. And listen, verse 19, and what did he do? And he blessed. He blessed Abram. Every child wants the blessing of their father. Every child wants that. This meal is blessed. I'll wait till we see that. This meal is blessed. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Verse 20, And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That's it. <laughs> That's all we hear of Melchizedek. So what do we see here? You cannot miss this. Melchizedek does two things. The first thing he does is the priest, the kingly priest, comes to the individual, and what does he bring him? Bread and wine. Symbols of communion and covenant. He's actually sitting down to have a meal. It's fascinating. If we went through the scriptures, every covenant is made at a meal. Exodus 24 actually talks about, I never saw this. When God called the 70 elders up, Moses went to the top, but God called the 70 elders. He actually invited them to sit, dine, and drink and have a meal with him. He was making Old Testament covenant. Every covenant's made over a meal. You know why? Because in, 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 these, in, in this culture, when you sat down to have a meal with someone, one of the things that you did is if there was hostility, it was a declaration of peace. See, God's not hostile towards us, but it says we were hostile enemies of God. He, he initiates covenant through meals to say, I declare peace now with you. So he offers bread and wine. This is what this high priest does. He comes and offers bread and wine, a symbol of communion and covenant, and then he blesses him. And that's it. It's so good. It's so good. Okay, you ready to run with this? Under the Levitical priesthood, everyone has to hear this. Under the Levitical priesthood, this is the way it worked. Under the order of Aaron, the individuals had to come to the high priest. And when they would come to the high priest, they would bring their offerings and their sacrifices, the animals. And the job of the high priest is he would then thoroughly inspect what was being brought to them. He would look for spot. He would look for blemish. Essentially, the summary word is he would look for imperfections. And if he found imperfections, the sacrifice was not received, and the individual was sent away without his blessing. Now, what do we see under the order of Melchizedek? Does, Abraham, does Melchizedek look at the offering of Abraham? No. Why not? Abraham doesn't even bring one. 
You see, under the order of Melchizedek, it's a complete reversal. It is not about us bringing something to try to earn his blessing. Actually, what this priest says is you can't earn this. See, this actually puts it in the proper place. We are so far separated from a holy God, the only thing we can do is, is receive what the high priest is giving to us. See, in the new covenant, it's not like Aaron where they had to go and say, I hope this is enough. I hope it's perfect so that he can receive me and bless me. Under the new covenant, Jesus says you could never come like that. Instead, sit, dine, eat with me, and receive what I've given to you. And if you trust in this work, you shall receive the blessing of the Father. This is good, good news. We just have to receive and trust in what he is giving to us. The blessing of Abraham was not received because of what he brought, but simply because he responded, said yes, and he sat and ate with a priest and communed with him. And he was blessed because of that. My friends, you know that this is what, what is being represented here? It's Melchizedek. It's Jesus saying, you don't have to start to bring stuff anymore to earn anything. I know where hearts are going. I'm going to share. The response you're going to see is we give everything when we see the finished work. But the point is he just says, come. Come and receive my perfect finished work for you. You see Aaron's call? Aaron's call has come to an altar. Aaron's call, the order of Aaron is come to an altar and let me inspect what you bring. And if it's good enough, I'll bless you. Jesus' call is you can't do that. You come to a table and you receive my perfection for you. And you receive and trust in this. Knowing that through this and, and communing with me is actually where you're changed and set free. It's glorious, glorious news. Do you know that this is why in the scriptures, whenever you read about communion, do you ever notice the language? What does Jesus always say? He takes the bread, he blesses it, gives thanks, breaks it, gives it out. It's always Jesus first blessing it and then giving it. Man can't take this. It's always, you have to receive it from the Lord. He blesses, we take from him. He gives, we receive. You know what your job is? To come in faith and receive the finished work of Jesus right here. That's the only thing that you can do. Can you put up Luke 12, verse 37? Is this making sense to you? This is the order Jesus comes. He comes, the priest comes offering it to us now. It's, it's just amazing. Look at Luke 12, uh, verse 37. It's on the screen. I would have never thought... This could be true if it wasn't in the scriptures and I didn't see Jesus himself speak this. This is Jesus speaking about those that will be ready for when he returns. And it says this. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. This is Jesus speaking. Truly I tell you, he's speaking about himself. He will dress himself to serve. will have them recline at the table. And will come and wait on them. Wow. <laughs> I would never believe that the king of the universe would ever write something like this if it wasn't the fact that it was in the Bible. Jesus says, when the master returns, I will put on lowly garments. I will make you sit at a table. I will make you recline. And then I will come and I will serve to you everything that you actually need. You see, you... (laughs) 
When you come to this table, you're receiving the perfect finished work of Jesus. This is the order now of Jesus. This liberates you. This sets you free. So here's, here's my question. Here's, here's the really important application. Which priesthood do you choose? For many declare that Jesus is my great high priest, but we actually treat Jesus like he's Aaron. This is why Hebrews over and over says what folly it is to return to the old order. What foolishness is it to return back to this other way? You see, I, this is what I really felt like, and I, I'm just trusting this is going to apply to certain individuals, but I feel like there are some in this room, I know I go through seasons of this, where you feel like he's always inspecting what you're bringing to him. He's always looking at it. Well, let me see what you have. Let me thoroughly see if it's good enough. And if it's good enough, then I'll receive you. Then I'll accept you. Then you can be mine. My friends, you've got it completely backwards. That actually, that actually comes against the glory of God and, and the separation between us and God. The only thing you can do is receive the perfection of Jesus for you. Yeah. only thing you can do is trust in what's represented here. His body that was broken for you, his blood that was spilled out for you. And when we come, we just say, Lord, I receive fully what you have given to me. I feel like some in this room are forever asking themselves the question, am I praying enough? Am I spending enough time with the Lord? Am I doing enough? And so on and so forth. And we're just so fearful. Is it enough? Does, is he pleased with me? And we get stuck in these cycles. You're under the wrong order. Here's the, here's the sad part is that it doesn't change who Jesus is. You're just missing out on the full blessing of living under the new order. He's the same, but you're treating him like he's like Aaron. There's a freedom that is released in your heart. My goodness, I preached fear. I lived in fear of following Jesus because I didn't understand this. Do you know what that old lifestyle produces when you think he's like Aaron? I used to, I used to say I take my sin so serious, yet I was so stuck in sin I had so much mask wearing that no one knew what was going on because I was convinced that only if I could just get it right and measure up, then he would receive me. When it shifted in my life and I realized, no, all I can do is actually receive his perfect work, I changed. I was liberated. Freedom filled my heart. Joy filled my heart. And I was now fueled by love, and I run after him harder than I ever did when I did it out of fear. This is the order of Melchizedek. And I know what somebody, some of us think. Some think, you can't preach this, Pastor. You will lead people into reckless living. You'll lead people into doing the most craziest things. You'll lead people to, to, to be irresponsible. No, I've shared it already so many times. But look at, look at Genesis uh, 14, verse 20. You've got to see this. I want, you, I want you to actually look at this. Genesis 14, verse 20. Look at the very end. What does it say that Abram did? Then Abram gave. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Did Abram give to be blessed? No, he gave out of response of already being blessed. I used to give to be blessed, and I was never quite sure if I gave him enough. And especially when I was in my dark seasons, I just ran from him. I said, there's no way he wants me. I got to string together a good week first before I can come back to him. But Abram actually gives him everything. Listen to me. If you've been here, I am so serious about following God. I think everything that we do, every job that we have, should be for one primary purpose, to make Jesus known. I think we should give him everything. But my giving of everything is not to earn his blessing. 
I could never do that. Instead, because I've been blessed by him, I say, Lord, I give you all now. Romans 12 says to offer our lives as living sacrifices. But do you know why? Paul says it's in view of his mercies. It's because when I see what he's done, the only thing I could say is, how, how do you not take everything, Lord? I give you it all. Guys, if we grasp who Jesus is as our high priest, it doesn't lead us to go crazy. It actually says, Jesus, you are so good, I give you everything. I commit every relationship. I commit every job. I commit every decision. I feel like some are stuck. They're stuck. You haven't. See, grace, Titus says, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's actually because we don't understand the finished work of Jesus that we're secretly trapped in things in our life. That's why I'll never be ashamed to preach about the transformative power of his grace. It's the only way to lead to purity and holiness is to live by his finished work. So which priest do you choose? I pray that this table would forever shift. The reason why we're going through this is so that we approach this table rightly and we never come the same way. That when we come to this table, we come to this table, man, we have grasped the weight of what's happening. And it's always a fresh reminder to say, Jesus, it's all about you. I'm just receiving what you have done for me. Guys, do you know that Jesus is not looking at your imperfections like Aaron? Do you know what he's doing? He's pointing you to his perfection. Stop looking at those things. You want to know how you change? You look to his perfections. You know why? He already knows your imperfections. He died while you were a sinner. Instead, he says, look at my perfect work for you and receive it. This table is the perfect work of Jesus for you. How many of you have ever heard the expression, you are what you eat? There's been seasons in my life where that, that's been uncomfortable. <laughs> There's no way around it. A lot of late night McDonald's runs. You are what you eat. When you come to this table and you commune with the Lord, you know what you're consuming? Perfect sacrifice. Perfect healing. Perfect forgiveness. You commune with a perfect priest. He's imparting his perfect life to you. This is where, you, this is where you're declared worthy. This is where you're declared holy. This is where you're declared righteous. This is where you're brought in the right standing. And it's from here where you live. You can't move from darkness into light. You know what has to happen? Light comes to you when you're in darkness. And he says, now you are light. Now begin to live out who you are, who I've made you. I'm not going out trying to become this. I already am this in Christ. It frees my heart so that I can run to him always in my time of need and grow in the Lord. I feel like the, the Lord spoke something. As we come to this table, the Lord's saying, I don't want you to try this. I want you to trust this. I don't want you to just try this. I want you to trust in what this is actually saying. Does this make sense? You know, I was thinking about this. How many of you have ever hosted a dinner party? Not many, huh? Wow. All right. Next, next story. <laughs> well, just imagine for a moment. Just imagine for a moment, you probably can, or you've been on the other side, but when you host people to come over and there's some type of table, food involved, okay, that's where we're going, <laughs> and there's a meal, when people, when you begin to talk to people about when to come, you may say, you may talk to your spouse and say, six o'clock is good. Now, why do you tell them to come at six o'clock? Because you know, at that time, everything will be ready. 
You don't invite people to come over when you're still vacuuming. <laughs> Hopefully not. I've been there. You don't, you don't invite them when you're just putting the turkey in. <laughs> when everything is ready and everything is prepared, then the invitation goes out and says, all you need to do now is come. You see, the reason why the invitation in the New Testament now is come is because everything's been prepared here. It's finished. It's complete. You can't add anything to this. We read in the first week, we read about Matthew 22, how Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet, a feast, right? At the center of the kingdom is this table. Do you know what it says in verse 4 of Matthew 22? The reason why the king is unceasingly crying out, come, is because he says everything is prepared. It's all here. In Luke, in Luke 10, one of my favorite portions of scripture, Mary and Martha. How many of you have ever read it? Beautiful distinction between these two women, two sisters. One is, it, Martha invites Jesus in. One is pictured as being frantic, running around as she invites Jesus in. And the other one, Mary, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha actually gets so frustrated by this that she even rebukes Jesus, saying, aren't you going to say something to my sister to help me? But you know what it says in verse 40? So beautiful. It says, as Mary sat, Martha was distracted by all of the preparations. Many of us don't come and commune because we're still distracted by preparations. We're still wondering, what do I need to do before I can come? What do I need to work up? What do I need to do so that I could be good enough to come before him? Martha, understand the work is finished. The only role we have now is to come, sit, eat, dine, commune, and receive his perfect life, and it's here where we're changed. I felt in my heart, many don't come because they're still busy with preparations, but it's, it's finished. Do you know what it says in Psalm 23.5? David had a revelation of the Lord's table. He says, you prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. David, he saw the picture in the Old Covenant. He says, Wow, you prepare the table, even in the midst of enemies. In the midst of, sometimes we're our own worst enemy. We have voices, we have people that speak against us, we have actual spiritual warfare. And you know what I love is in the midst of that, David saw this picture where God has provided a table. And he says, just come. Do you know what the real battle is? See, we fight the wrong enemy, I think, all the time. We get so consumed trying to rebuke and come after these things and thinking that's how we're going to fight it. Do you, know what the, do you know how we wage war? Not through fighting, but through feasting. We come to the table, and we just receive from him his perfect work. You know what I've found in my life? Is that when I prioritize communing with the Lord, there's a grace that comes and extends and reaches all those pressing needs on my life. And all of a sudden, the things I thought that were so important that I needed to fight in my own strength, he's taking care of it. You don't need to go out and fight all that. His invitation is in the midst of that. The real struggle is that we need to be able to still continually come to the table and dine with him and commune with him. You can't, listen, you can't defeat sin in your own strength. Do you know that's why Jesus had to come? You can't, you can't heal yourself from an incurable disease. You can't overcome shame. You can't overcome fear. You can't beat addiction. But he can. And so you sit and commune with him. And it's in this place where he sets you free. He's in the order of Melchizedek. The priest comes to us, and we receive his perfect work. It's that simple. So here's the, here's the last thing I want to share with you. If you want, you can turn your Bibles. If not, you can just put it on the screen, please, Paul. Genesis chapter 27.
Jesus comes in the order of Melchizedek. So beautiful. He comes bringing the bread and the wine. He says, everything you need is right here. And when Abram just simply received it, Abram didn't have to do anything. He just responded, sat. It says that what? He was blessed. Now, I want you guys to hear this, what I'm about to share, the importance of being blessed. I shared before, every single person in this room, whether you know God or not, you desire to be blessed by your creator. <laughs> it's internal. It's in, it's in your nature. What do I mean? You want his acceptance. You want his approval. You were made to know him. And it's only through Jesus where we have that. And I want you to see something I never saw before. How many of you have ever read the story of Jacob and Esau? Guys, you have to see this. This is so, so beautiful. And this is where we'll conclude, and then we'll, we're going to take communion together. Jacob and Esau. Jacob, God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is one of the patriarchs. He's well-known. Well, he was actually born as a twin to a brother named Esau. There's much that goes on. They fought even within the womb. Jacob was known. In fact, his name means deceiver. There was deception from a young age. But here's what basically happens. And you have to hear this. As they grow older, Isaac, the father, is old in age. It says that he's actually blind, and he knows that he's about to die. He brings Esau in, who was the, who was, who was the one who receives the blessing of the father, and he brings him in. Isaac knew how important the blessing of the father is. So did Jacob and Esau. He brings in Esau and says, listen, I'm going to die soon. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out. I want you to go get some, some food, hunt for food, cook a good meal, covenant, blessing over meal. And he says, I want you to come, and I want you to sit down with me, and as we have this meal, I'm going to bless you. This meant everything in this culture. At this time, the wife of Isaac, Rebekah, is listening in. She favored Jacob. So when Esau went out, she goes to Jacob and says, look, this is what's going to happen. You need the blessing of your father. So, so important. You need the blessing of your father. She says, I want you to dress up like, like Esau. She even put camel or goat hair on his hands and his neck because Esau was a hairy dude. <laughs> and he knew that the father would, uh, would uh, pick up on that. So Jacob comes in with a meal. And Isaac's like, wow, that was fast. And he's like, well, the Lord gave me favor. <laughs> and he's like, you sound like Jacob, but, uh, I mean, you sound like, uh, yeah, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau because he had the clothes. You, you feel like Esau. And so, nevertheless, he goes forward, and he's, he's going to bless Jacob. And listen to what he says. I'm just reading the first part of this. Genesis chapter 7, verse 28. He says, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness. What does he say? An abundance of grain and new wine. Wow. The blessing of the Father was, I'm going to give you an abundance of grain, which speaks to bread, and an abundance of new wine. <laughs> Esau comes in, and Esau comes in with his meal afterwards and says, here I am, Father. I'm here to receive my blessing. And Isaac goes, wait a minute. Who in the world did I just bless? He couldn't see. Esau recognizes right away that his blessing was robbed. He cries out and says, but is there still not a blessing for me? And listen to how the father, Isaac, responds in verse 37, just a few verses down. Genesis 27, verse 37. It says, Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants. Listen, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? What he's saying is, Esau, I've given him the greatest blessing I could give. I've given him an abundance of grain and wine to sustain him. 
There's nothing better that I could give you. The greatest blessing is actually found in the bread and the wine from the beginning. And they knew this. They knew that this blessing was not only the greatest, but it was irrevocable. Esau knew, I can't receive this. Once, I, once, it, once it's been given, that's it. The Father's put his blessing on it. It's over. You know what's amazing? Is that Jacob, listen, this is such a picture of the Father blessing us in Christ through the bread and the wine. It's irrevocable. Jacob, you know how Jacob received this blessing? Through deception. And it still was irrevocable. Do you know how Jesus receives this blessing? Through faithful suffering for us. How much more are we blessed in Christ before the Father because of what's being represented here? The last scripture, look at this, Ephesians 1.3, look on the screen. It says this, to just, so you see the full picture of this. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is a fulfillment of what we just read in the New Testament. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Oh my goodness. The Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In his sacrificial work. In the bread and in the cup. Every spiritual blessing. He's not just talking about spiritual gifts. He's saying that now in Christ we have life by the Spirit. And therefore we are blessed in every single way. We have election. We have holiness. We have adoption of sons and daughters. We have forgiveness. We have acceptance. We have redemption. We have hope of glory. All of this is found in Christ. It's in Christ. Is it found in you obtaining a level of perfection? No. It's only found in Christ. Submitting and surrendering to the finished work. And when that happens, he'll change you as you receive this. Is that not good news? <laughs> he comes. He gives you the bread and wine. You simply receive it by faith, and you are blessed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. So we're going to do it a little bit different. It's just the way I felt the Lord lead us as we close and take communion. The past few weeks, I know we've come forward, but I feel in light of what we share that the Lord was saying for you guys to stay seated, we're going to pass it out. And as a prophetic act, you are going to receive it as a picture that you cannot come and just take this from Jesus. You cannot come to his table really without him first inviting you and receiving his finished work. Yeah. Amen. So I'm going to ask the uh, usher of the community team to come forward. They're going to pass this out. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you take this by faith. Hold on to it. We're going to partake in it together. Even right now. You know what? Just bow your head for a sec. If you don't know the Lord, even right now, you turn your heart to him. And so I just pray, Jesus, for every person who doesn't even know you in here. Lord, that you see it's simply calling upon your name. It's a shift of heart like, like the sinner, the thief on the cross. He just turned his heart to you, Lord. I pray, God, there would be genuine heart shifts right now. Lord, where people say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to make you everything in my life. I yield it all. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just give divine revelation of, of who Jesus is. They surrender their hearts right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.